0: Hey, everybody, you're listening to the Bigger Pockets Podcast, Show 14.
1: You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors, large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from biggerpockets.com, your home for real estate investing
2: online.
0: Hey, everyone, welcome to the show. This is Josh Dorkin, your host. I'm here, as always, with that little gnat that won't leave me alone, Brandon Turner. <laughs> I've
1: That's, never been called a gnat in my life. I'm six foot five. <laughs> I
0: thought you were like six foot twelve.
1: I, uh, <laughs> otherwise
0: not, known as gigantic.
1: Not not quite. Though I did play the mayor of the Munchkins in my high school uh, uh, senior year musical. So At six foot five? At six foot five. <laughs> I was six five in my senior year and I was the mayor of the Munchkins.
0: Let's hear that Munchkin voice, man. Come on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. You want to hear my line? This was my line. Ash mayor of the Munchkin City. <laughs> that was my line. In
3: the Everybody, county of
1: the land of Oz. Give Brandon a round of applause. <laughs> All right.
0: Enough of that. Well, it's good to have you, Brandon, today. Uh, today we've got Thank a pretty. Thank you. Uh, shit. <laughs> Keep it real, man. Come on. <laughs> this is a serious podcast.
1: Very serious.
0: Yes. Um listen let's 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 jump into our quick tip yeah quick, our quick <laughs> tip <laughs> I, I'm losing it here let's jump into our quick tip for the day um all right guys when you're on bigger pockets or, or any other social network but really bigger pockets. Um, don't just read you know y- you've got to interact when, when you read a forum thread, a discussion, a blog, an article, add your thoughts or add questions. Uh, you know reading blog posts, l- let the blogger know that you agree, disagree. Just share something. Uh, Bigger Pockets is all about having conversations, so jump in and be a part of it and by doing that, People are going to get to know you. You're going to get to grow your, your network, and and you will grow your knowledge as well by, by getting into these conversations. So we definitely recommend it. Um, but that's just a quick tip. We've got a big old show today full of amazing, amazing tips. And... Uh, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's get into that. Let's bring our guest out. Uh, you know Today uh, we're talking to a guy, Bennett Labovitch. Uh, ben is an investor in Ohio uh, who's got a fascinating story that you guys are really, really going to want to listen to. He's an incredible guy. Uh, he's very active on Bigger Pockets, both on the forums and on the Bigger Pockets blog. Uh, he is also a writer on his own website, justaskbeny.com. Uh, so with that, uh, please, uh, please, uh, you know, get ready, get your pens out and, and get ready to, to, you know, learn a couple things and, and also to be inspired because uh, Ben's story is, is really an inspiring one.
2: This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com slash VP. Connectinvest.com slash VP.
0: So Ben, welcome to the show, man. How's it going?
1: I am well. Thank you for having me, guys. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you, Ben. I am really looking forward to today's show because uh I really like your writing style. I'm a I'm a big fan of yours on the blog. So uh, this is gonna be a good show.
0: And he's a funny guy at that as well, isn't he?
1: He is. He is. All right, man. <laughs> well, let's
0: let's get into Ben a little bit here. Ben, what uh, what's your story, man? You know, you, you're a real estate investor. You you've got a background in in teaching. You know, tell us tell us how it all kind of came together. How'd you get into real estate?
4: Well, uh, <clears throat> this might take a minute to interrupt me if you have to. I was born. I was born in Russia when it was still Soviet Union. Now the two of you babies aren't old enough to remember those days. But <laughs> and some of the people listening Are will uh, probably remember. We want a
0: Soviet on the show. Do we really want this guy? <laughs> oh my goodness! I was I too a, young. Josh, a, Josh is that's old.
4: What, what American, please, people <laughs> with an accent? Okay, <laughs> accent. Um, I share a birthday with the infamous Mikhail Gorbachev, the guy responsible for perestroika. The, the, uh, the, the famous adversary to, to America back in those days. He was also uh, the
0: guy who, who helped uh, destroy the Soviet Union, so we're, we're a big fan of his.
4: That <laughs> was the hit, hint kind of thing. <laughs> um, I was actually trained violinist. I started playing when I was five. When I was three, my grandfather, who is no longer here, gave my parents a book um, about a famous Russian violinist named David Oistrach and he wrote inside the cover to my grandson Ben, the future violinist. Nice. So, my fate was sealed then. <laughs> I had no uh, other options as far as I was concerned. Everybody in the family knew I was going to be a violinist. I started studying at the age of five. We arrived to America in 1989. We watched the parliament being... Shelled from the tanks in the Red Square on TV the winter of when we came in 1989. It was a very surreal mm. kind of experience. I was a 13 year old, so I wasn't really able to put much of that together uh, at that point. But for my parents, it certainly was very surreal to see that. I finished high school um, and I attended the University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music on a full ride. And, uh, you know, the undergrad wasn't, uh, you know, anything out of, uh, anything out of ordinary. I, I, everything went according to plan. In the first year of my master degree program, things happened, though, that caused me to reevaluate everything and eventually led me to real estate. Okay. So, and what? Oh, what, uh,
0: uh, apologies. Apologies.
4: Well, I was just going to take you right into what happened. Uh, if it Again, if it gets dragged out, just interrupt me and, <laughs> and fix me, so to speak. <laughs> but it's important, I think, for people to hear this because uh, I think a lot of people will be able to relate to a certain extent. Uh, and it's got everything to do with why I do what I do and why I am who I am. No, that's great. I was sitting on the sofa one evening watching TV and I felt a, a funny sensation in my legs. I can describe it as something between like a tickle and a kind of a buzz feeling. Well, it came, it went, a couple of days later it came back and then it was accompanied with some vertigo and um, some uh, kind of loss of coordination in my right arm. Um, by then I was obviously pretty freaked out. I knew something was wrong. I, I drove to the hospital as quick as I could. I got there. Um, uh, and I can tell you, I remember, <clears throat> I remember laying in the bed. They had done the MRIs a couple of days earlier. Uh, when, when this first happened, I saw a doctor, they did the MRIs and I was supposed to see him back in a few days. And of course I didn't make it. I, I made it to the hospital instead. And, uh, he he was approaching me and he had those MRI images that I hadn't had the chance to discuss with my doctor yet. He ordered those. And I'll never forget that look. He, he kind of looked up from, from looking at the MRIs. He looked up at me and he said, uh, I don't want you to panic, but the images here are consistent with multiple sclerosis. Um, I didn't know what multiple sclerosis was. He explained it to me the way I'm going to explain it to you now. If you think of electrical wiring, there's a copper wire on the inside and then the plastic tubing on the outside. That's what protects the wire. If it gets damaged or cracked or whatever, then then the electrical signal, you know, we have all kinds of problems. We have sparking and everything else. Well, in the human physiology, the nervous system is much the same way. The nerves are covered with a protective sheath. It's kind of a fatty tissue uh, called myelin. And if that gets damaged, then the signals coming from the brain through the nerves to your body get interrupted, basically. And so the sensations that I was feeling, which included things like, by the time I got to the hospital, the, ro- the right side of my face was numb. Wow. Uh, my arm—I lost considerable coordination in my right arm. I, m- my tongue—and this is a little graphic—but <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, it was. Twisting and turning inside my mouth uncontrollably. I couldn't control it. Oh, wow. It was like having a snake in your mouth You know, it's 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 a weird feeling you don't forget it You don't forget any of it. This is why I don't drink because I hate to lose control of my body It just takes me back To to that time and those feelings, you know, not not having coordination. This is why, you know, this is why but you know, he explained to me, he said, we don't really understand MS all that much. It takes very quick path in some people and others are able to have productive lives for a long time. It's an autoimmune disease whereby your immune system attacks itself. So what happens is my immune system attacks that myelin, that protective she- sheathing again, uh, you know, uh, on my on my nerves and it damages it. And every time it's damaged, that's why I was feeling those sensations, the buzzing and and the tickling and the numbing and all that stuff. That's exactly why that was going on. Well, when the damage is extensive enough, you start losing control of your body.
2: Yeah.
4: And it's just a question of how long does it take? Does it take two years? Does it take 15? Does it take 30 years? You know, me being a violinist, I'm hypersensitive to fine motor skill. A lot of people out there have a mess, and they don't even know it. If it's not a very exacerbated version of a mess, then there's a lot of people out there who don't even know it. Wow. You know, in my case, uh, you know, some people are not so good with fine motor with their fingers. You know, holding little bitty things with their fingers and things like that. Uh, Arguably, a lot of them have a mess, and they just don't know it. Mm. Wow. Okay, it just kind of sleeps dormant, but. Once, let's remember, I am a violinist. Yeah. I need my arms to work in order to make money, in order to make a living, in order to be who I was. I've been playing violin since the age of five. It's who I was, what I was. I didn't know anything else. I didn't want to know anything else. So that was kind of a bombshell. So I was, I was scared for two reasons. One, obviously my health. And two, I didn't know what to do next. Because it, you know, eventually sunk in that I can't be a violinist, which is the only thing I've ever wanted out of life is to be a violinist. And, you know, it took me a couple of months, six months or something to kind of put pieces together and begin to think rationally. But eventually I did start to think rationally. The problem I was trying to solve in my life fundamentally was income because if I can't play music to make money then I have to have another way of making money so I started to do research my research led me to realization of several very important things that I think everybody need to know according to the IRS and for our practical purposes there are three types of income earned passive and portfolio earned income is where we trade time and skill for income, it's W2 1099 income. Okay. Well, that was a non-starter because that's the whole thing I was trying to avoid. I wasn't sure how long my body would work for. I was hoping for the best. I was hoping it was going to be 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, but I didn't know how long. So I certainly didn't want to put my financial well-being, uh, well-being on the bandwagon whereby I have to show up, punch the clock and trade dollars for hours. I just didn't know how long I had. Yeah. Okay. So being that I had an open slate in front of me and I could make any choice I wanted to, I certainly didn't want to make that choice, okay? Well that left passive and portfolio which belong to the world of investing. So I researched those. Portfolio income is basically a paper asset income. And the problem with it, I discovered it, uh, two problems really. One, there are very precious few opportunities to make income. Portfolio. Uh, Investing is basically equity investing. Okay. Unless you trade, which is a whole another conversation, yeah. <laughs> but it's basically uh, uh, equity investing. I didn't need equity. I don't, I didn't care about equity. I still don't care very much about equity. Uh, I cared about income. And so that was a problem. The other problem was is that leverage, there's no leverage in paper assets. In order to have $50,000 a year at 5% dividend, you need a hundred, a million dollar investment base. And you can't leverage it. You have to actually pay a million dollars for it. I didn't have it, obviously. You know, trying to graduate from college, being a musician who can't play. You know? <laughs> 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 yeah, really, it's funny, but it wasn't at the time. Sure, You know, I didn't have it. So what were, what were my options then? My options were passive, passive cash flow, and that's business and investing. And, you know, I... I I, I'm a smart guy, but you know most businesses fail in the first five years, and I just didn't want to take those chances, while real estate has been making fortunes, big and small, for as long as there's been dirt. So that's how I arrived at real estate. That's when I understood that one way or the other, real estate was going to have to play a role in how my financial future was going to shape up.
0: Wow. Wow well that's uh it's an incredible story man and And I've got about a million questions to to ask you and if this were the Oprah Winfrey show, I think we'd go on and on we'd cry together and and <laughs> uh but but and and I'm sure people are fascinated and and will reach out to you uh but you know certainly we're we're here to talk about the real estate a little bit so I think we should uh we should just jump right into that and anyone who thinks I'm being a jerk for jumping into real <laughs> estate it's Brandon's fault. <laughs> 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 um but we're you know we're we're gl- we're re- first off I mean we really are really glad to have you here and and I mean the story is is pretty amazing man and and you know it's it's uh you know, we all, we really do wish the best to you and your family, and, and we know how hard the journey uh, probably is and will be. And, uh, you know, just up front, I, I I do want to say that, you know, we, we really, uh, you know, we're here for you. We're here Thank for you. You,
4: I understand. you know, the thing of it is, is, is successful people march toward the blazing guns. That's just a fact of what success is all about. And, you know, there are... Good days, and there are days where I have to play head games with myself. you know you feel you feel a tickle here or there, and you ask yourself what just happened uh, you know is is everything cool you know, but everything is cool you move on it, we're we 're resilient human beings you know it's it 's a fact of life, and I consider myself to be very lucky because it could have been a lot worse, and i 'm able to be productive i 'm able to have a family, two kids, beautiful wife and and it's wonderful.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right, man. Well, then how did you decide which strategies you were going to focus on with, with your real estate investing? You know, you talk about, uh, income. So, you know, how did that decision come to be?
4: Okay. Well, I am a buy and hold guy. I have specific criteria for what I do and how I do it. But ultimately I am a buy and hold guy and I prefer multifamily. I don't typically do flipping. I don't do wholesaling, uh, and all the rest of it. And, only in some specific cases. I'll tell you that if it makes sense with respect to if I, have, if I have so many write-offs that I won't pay any income tax on a flip, then I might consider doing a flip or something like that in combination of strategies. But by and, by and large, I'm not interested in doing those things. So why, Here's why. Yeah, I was going to say, why don't you? Here's why. Because the three reasons. Both flipping and wholesaling is really hard work. <laughs> I don't think people understand this. I've done enough of it to know it's really hard work. Anybody can get lucky here and there, but to be consistent, it's really hard work. Anyone who tells you otherwise is just lying to you. Come on, here Ben.
0: Me. It's really easy, <laughs> man. You just... It's
4: really hard work, okay? But apparently this message has escaped most newbies because everybody and their mother, father, and uncles seem to be doing flipping and wholesaling. Which brings me to the second reason I don't do it. I believe (laughs) that I can find fertile ground where Stampede hasn't been yet. Yeah. So while all these guys want to take each other's heads off over there trying to compete for the same REOs, I go, I go in a different direction. I zag when they zig. Nice. I, I think it makes sense to me. But fundamentally, you mentioned, uh, you know, income. I'm in real estate for one reason, one reason only stable, passive cash flow. That's it. My medical condition demands that this is what I do. I don't want to build a business around something that I'll have to be present each moment. You know, you cannot do flipping and not be there. You just can't. I've done it. You can't do it. I don't care who says what. If you're Mm going to do it right, you're going to have, it's a job and I don't need a job.
3: There you go.
0: Yep. There you go. That's awesome. That's great. Definitely. Definitely. Um, all right, so so you get started and uh, you decide, hey, Multifamily, was that your first deal or why don't you tell us kind of how how you got started?
4: That's funny. I'm laughing because my first deal was a flip <laughs> <laughs> and, and I just said I don't do flips.
0: No flipping!
4: <laughs> it wasn't a flip, it was a simultaneous closing, uh, just like you discussed with Sharon a couple of weeks back. Um, what happened was I, I got a little house under contract. I think I got it under contract for 32 grand. I figured it was an eighty to $90,000 house. It was uh, gutted pretty much, but, you know, had a lot of things in it. So it was a remodel. Somebody started, ran out of money, and wasn't able to complete. So, like, the kitchen cabinets were sitting right there in the kitchen. All I had to do was put them up. So was the kitchen countertop, okay? So I kind of figured I'd that's easy, a $30,000 flip, right? Well, I had a line of credit established. That's one of the first things I did. I, I put a line of credit against my primary residence in order to get into real estate because I didn't have any cash. Sure. So um, I used all of my cash as a down payment for my personal residence because I didn't know anything better back then, right? So I, it was enough to either buy a house or to rehab the house, but it wasn't enough to do both. So what I did was I approached a friend of mine who was a highly paid professional, and I said, look, if you, give me a, if you buy this house, I'll give you a note and a mortgage for whatever, four months or six months, whatever we did, I'll give you 15% when I flip this thing. And I'll remodel it and use my equity to do it. Well, imagine my surprise when he offered me some money that was 20 grand to just walk away. He said, I want a rental, I want another rental. This is perfect. I can remodel it. Uh, I'll hold it forevermore as a rental. Um, well, you know, you don't say no to 20 grand, you know, <laughs> in a space of two weeks. Oh, so great. I went ahead and did that, walked out of closing. I, I bought it in one room, sold it in the other room, did one of those, you know, simultaneous closings that you can only do with an investor uh, because you can't, you know, you can't do this with uh, financing or anything like that. And, uh, and that was the first deal, and it was the easiest deal I have ever done by by far. And I tell you, the money was gone because there were student loans involved and all the rest of it. So as soon as the money came in, it was gone. The cars were paid off, the student loans were paid off, and then I started from scratch again. Nice, wow,
1: so, yeah. So that that definitely leads us uh, into you know something that I want to talk more about is creative finance because. Um, anybody who reads your stuff on the blog knows that you are the creative finance guy. You're always talking about, uh, no money down or trying to buy something with, with nothing. Um, definitely that first deal you got a little bit creative with, and you were already kind of hinting at that. So, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about creative financing? Like what is, let's go basic. What is creative finance?
4: Okay. If Josh Dorkin was going to post a bulletin <laughs> on the, uh, homepage of biggerpockets.com asking people to vote. What is the biggest problem in real estate investing for real estate investors? I think he would find a consensus that access to capital is by far the biggest problem, whether it's purchase capital, down payment capital, rehab capital, whatever. Of course, access to capital. If we had more money, we could always do more, go faster, bigger, all of that stuff. Okay? So with this in mind, I define creative finance as a combination of tools, techniques, terms, and approaches, which allow us to gain ownership of assets without needing cash. Simple. I mean, you can add credit to that because to some extent, credit is a problem. So if you can bypass having to rely on your credit, but that's not the biggest problem. That's a problem you can fix a lot easier than access to capital. Okay. So a combination of tools, techniques, terms, and approaches, which allow us to gain access, uh, ownership to, uh, to property without access to cash. Now, I have to point something out. I need you to notice that I said ownership of assets. I am fully aware, just as you are, that there are a ton of techniques out there to gain control, contractually, of property without gaining the ownership.
1: What, what are some of those? What do you mean?
4: Lease options. Okay, yeah. Land contracts you know uh, all of that stuff uh, options just you know uh, you can wrap things you can do you can do a lot of things here's what my perspective on all of that is i am in this for stable cash flow yes i could lease option and then rent it out i c- i could i could work on the spreads however i would be hard pressed to call that stable because a lot of things can go wrong and your response capacity and time is limited when you don't have the ownership of the asset. If you go and put in $20,000 into a lease option, you could lose it. You could lose all of it because you basically you don't own the place. You have an option on it. You have some interest in it, but you don't own it. So as far as I'm concerned, I want the fee simple absolute title to the property. I want the deed. Um, so... I, whenever I talk about zero money down or I talk about 100% financing, I'm talking about really buying, owning. I am the owner of record on, on record of, of this property. So, uh, what is creative finance? Well, you know, coming up with money and ways to buy property.
1: It's basically being Perfect. creative with finance.
0: <laughs> that's the name being creative finance. <laughs> Okay, so what you know of of creative financing, you know, there's there's various ways to go. Um, ha, you know, do you have a a preferred technique of choice? Do you, is is there is there one you know one path that that uh, you utilize most, or, or you know, do you kind of does it just depend on the deal? Uh,
4: that's a it's a good question. Um, my perspective on real estate is that our success is a function of our capacity to do certain things. One is to recognize the problem that we can solve. And two is having enough tools in our tool bag to cater a solution. What I don't like is the approach of here's a lease option. Here's the paperwork. Go and do 10 million of them. Well, you know, for one person that would work. But but for another person, that wouldn't work. So this whole whole same-size-fits-all kind of mentality, I don't buy into it. It doesn't interest me. It it bores me. I look at real estate as solving problems. There's problems everywhere. People need to sell. People need to buy. People need to put money to work. That's a big point with creative financing. People don't understand oftentimes that there is money out there. There's a lot of money out there. It needs to be put to work. Whatever that problem is, you have to have the tool as an entrepreneur to, to cater transactions so that everybody's happy. So do I have my preferred methods? Yeah, sure. I do. I, you know, I'll, I'll use cash with a private money to buy something. I'll, I'll, I'll refinance it and. And, and get the private money out, or else I'll move the collateral on the private money or a portion of it or whatever. It, it, it gets quite interesting and complicated as you dig deeper in that. But let me give you, let me give you, I'll just give you a transaction. I just bought a 10plex two months ago. Let's just talk about this one because it just makes sense. It's going on right now. Sure. I bought a 10plex. It's actually two units, two fiveplexes so sitting next to each other. Same same deal. So I call it 10plex. Okay. Sure. Uh, <clears throat> purchase price was $373,500. Um, only in is, Ohio, man. <laughs> well, I, I got it, 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 That's true. There Beautiful. are better areas to invest for cash flow, and there are not, not so good areas to invest. Absolutely. In. Absolutely. And, and you know, when I, when I spoke or, earlier about flipping, if I could get a hundred thousand dollar spread in Lima, Ohio, Perhaps my approach would be different, but my spread is, you know, ten or fifteen grand pre-tax, and to take on all the risks and all the work that's involved with flipping—that's why I don't do it. It's just not enough to interest me. I'm the
1: exact. If I, I'm the exact same way in my area. Our, our spreads, ten or fifteen thousand, and uh, over on the blog, Danny uh, Johnson um, wrote a post the other day uh, that was about. You know, are you thinking about doing a flip with $15,000 profit? Think again. Uh, and we'll, yeah, we'll point to that in the show notes, but it, it's the same idea. When you have that small of a spread, uh, it's just not always feasible to do a flip like that. Yeah,
4: you got you to gotta work that hard. You got to, you know, you got to find it right. You got to pay, pay the right amount. You got to make sure you estimate your repairs right. You got to not overspend on contractors. You got to qualify your buyer. You got to sell it right. Then you got to pay taxes on it. And then you got to redo the whole thing over and over and over. Yeah. You know, it's just not. It, it, it doesn't float my boat. For a hundred thousand, <laughs> I probably do it. For fifteen, maybe not so much. But sure. coming back to this deal, the financing package on this deal was a seventy percent commercial note, uh, a twenty-five percent private note, and I needed to bring five percent down to closing, um, which after the proration of uh, rents and assignment of security deposits, I ended up bringing $5,300 to closing, which is one and a half percent. That's creative finance, my friends. That's $5,300, bought me a $373,000 purchase price asset. But let's go on from there because that's not all of it. The NOI at closing on this building was $3,400 a month. You know, I looked at the rents, the scheduled NOI was $3,400 a month. Okay. Now I go into this with wide open eyes. I know the building is mismanaged. I'm writing a couple of articles for a BP blog where I'm going to be walking through this transaction. We don't obviously have enough time to do all that. I knew I would be evicting people. I knew that the building was mismanaged. It's not a function of the building itself, where it sits and what it is, a 1980 structure it's the fact of how it was being managed or lack thereof. So I knew I would have work to do. But thirty four hundred dollars a month is the was the NOI. My cash flow on this building after purchase with my financing attached to it was a thousand dollars. Okay? A hundred dollars a door. Okay. There are a few things that I knew. One, rents are too low. Two, the water service, which is separately metered, the previous landlord paid for it out of the rents. He included in the rents. That's about $150 a month that needs to be passed along to the tenants. So You better believe that when the leases are restructured, it will be passed along to the tenants. Yep. Three, property taxes on this building are entirely too high. I've applied to have those lowered, and I believe I have a very good chance at having those lowered. So all in all, I bought a building for $373.5 with NOI of $3,400 a month, and I believe I can create additional NOI of approximately five dollars to $700 a month. Because there's no additional expenses associated with creating that NOI, first of all, it flows directly to my cash flow. Yeah. So I've just increased my cash flow by 50 to 70%. But let's also talk about something else. I've al- I, I, I think I've already said today that I don't care much about equity. It's true and it's not true because I leverage equity. So I want to grow equity so I can leverage it so I can buy more, use the money to make down payments to buy extra buildings, right? So what's the deal with this? You have to know that a building like this of this character in this location uh, commands a 10 cap, which means that most investors will deploy capital based on a 10 percent capitalization rate the NOI, such as it was a closing of thirty four hundred dollars which is a little less than forty one thousand dollars a year should justify a value of four hundred and ten thousand on that building i paid three seventy there's a reason i got a little bit of a discount nothing much to write home about a little bit and there's a reason why which we can come back to later if you want to but the point is i got a little discount Okay. Now, if I am able to achieve, I should say when I am able to achieve, and this may take two or three years because I have to cycle out leases, I have to obviously spice up the apartments, I have to put new countertops on, put a little money in, right? Okay. Obviously, we have to manage these things, right? You either have money or you have to manage. So I manage. So the extra $700 of NOI, $8,400 of NOI, if I am correct, that capitalizes at 10% to $84,000 of value. Because the next guy coming along is going to look at the NOI of the building and base his offer on that NOI. Well, if most people are willing to deploy capital at 10% relative to uh, cap rate, then I've just created $84,000 of value in this building. So I bought it for 373.5. dollars and the building is worth $100,000 more in a couple of years. Yep, That's awesome. Yep. So that... while I'm financing, uh, financing 100% of the, uh, of, of the purchase price, I'm not even close to touching 100% of the value that is going to be there when I'm done doing what I got to do.
3: You know,
1: this, this is definitely one of my favorite things about uh, real estate investing is that exact strategy of finding multifamily properties, adding value. Uh, making it worth more money because the value of a property, like you were saying, is based off the income. Yeah, if you can if you can add some income or if you right. can take away expenses, uh, you can add value. Right. Out. Yeah. There there's well, a, that,
0: that that is on commercial, of course, not you know on, on correct. a on a on a house. That, that
4: is exactly this is yeah. this is why this is the main reason why I stay away from singles. Yeah. Because the you can't increase value of a single All you can do is bring it back to the value that the market establishes for it. Because of course, the the value setting mechanism in the single family market is a comparable market analysis. Yeah. So if you have a three bedroom, two bath house, it could be Taj Mahal. You could put (laughs) gold toilets in there, but it's a three bedroom, two bath house. And the market has spoken. It's decided that in this location, a three bedroom house with two baths and this um, set of amenities. Is worth in the range of between 150 and 160. You are not going to jump over that meter mark. You know, no matter what you do in multifamily and in commercial, though, because value is a function of income, more specifically NOI, like Brandon said, by increasing income and by decreasing expenses, we can increase the NOI, which then backs into the value, which gives us a lot more options.
0: So tell us about this deal. How did you actually – how did you find it? And then you, you talked about um, financing it with, with the five, five down and, and the, uh, the commercial loan and then the, the, uh, the second loan. Um, how did you actually come about getting that loan? Uh, was that just through your network of, of folks?
4: Sure. How did I find it? Well, that goes back to why I was able to buy it for a little discount. I had first found out about this deal about nine months prior to being able to actually consummate the deal. Uh, the purchase price back then was 475. That's what the seller wanted at that time. Wow. I worked with him. We worked on some creative options. We worked that. we thought about wrapping it. I knew the bank that he was dealing with. You know, I explored a couple of different scenarios. It didn't work out, but in the process, we established a good, solid rapport. You know, we, we mutual respect and certainly no dislike or anything else. It didn't work out. But nine months later, when he was truly ready to sell, I was the first to know. And so before anybody else knew, I had the thing wrapped up under contract. Okay, So that's how, that's how I do most things that I do, word of mouth. I'm sure one of the questions you're going to ask me is how I come up with deals and market and all that stuff later on because it would make sense to ask that question. Well, I'll just answer it right now. Inbound marketing. I I used to send out letters, direct marketing. I used to send out, put flyers. And you know, I've had success with all those things. The beautiful thing about being in a place where I am now is that people bring deals to me because they know that if I say something can be done, it's going to get done 99% of the time. And so, you know, they bring me deals and I kind of sift through them and pick out the ones I want. And by the way, I only do about one, one deal a year uh, because my criteria for pulling the trigger is so specific on everything I do. Uh, so that's, you know, I just... Let I, me, I,
0: can uh, I jump in really quickly on that? And and I, I think it's so important you said that and, and that's something that Brandon and I talk talk about a lot. And, uh, you know, we talked about it in our ultimate beginner's guide and everything, you know, setting your your, your buying criteria and sticking to it and making sure that you don't flex because, you know, you get excited or worried that, hey, I haven't done a deal in a year or in six months. You know, you got to, you know, you got to stick to those standards that you set because otherwise you can get yourself into some really bad deals.
4: Yes, you can. And having said that, you have to be aware of off ramp. Because there are always off ramps, and it it it's silly, you know. I, I commented last night on one of the one of the threads where a gentleman wrote like you know three and a half pages, he wrote out his whole entire plan, and Brandon, you commented on that thread as well. Yep. And I think it's wonderful. I, I and I uh, my comment to him was that he will succeed because he, he he's a thinker. I can tell he's a thinker in the way that he wrote out that plan. Uh, it's very important to have a plan. Yep. It's even more important to understand that plans are made to change. Yep. You have to have, you get on a train or a bus or a plane. It doesn't matter how you travel to it, and it doesn't matter how many stops you make, as long as it's the same destination. You have to know where you're going. That's the whole purpose of a plan is to define the end point and to define the starting point. The middle will change many, many times before you get there. It it just has to. But it's very important to know. You know, I started with single family houses. I have four of them. Three of them I bought before I, I say before I knew anything. You know, I studied, I studied for seven years before I did my first deal, that, that, that flip that I described in the beginning. I studied for a long time, but studying only buys you so much. You have to get out there and do it uh, at some point. And so, uh, you know, I got in just thinking, you know, it's, it's what I could handle. I have this line of credit with 30 grand on it. What, what kind of deals can I do? You know, it wasn't until much later that my mind was opened up. Uh, it doesn't take any more time to put a deal together on a half a million than it does on 50,000, period it takes the same amount of effort the same amount of knowledge the numbers are bigger is all it is so i'd prefer to buy 10 plex for 375 than to buy a duplex i just would
0: yeah I know, and then on the, the same way. Of scale makes sense makes yeah. sense really quick this is show 14 of the bigger pockets podcast and for those of you who are interested you can find the show notes at biggerpockets.com/show14 Hey, uh, Ben, we, we skipped over something really quick, and um, you know, uh, y- you, you talked about the deal. Um, let's, let's really quickly get into the financing, and then let's move on to some other stuff. We've got a ton of questions we want to ask you, and, and yeah. I have a feeling that this show could be a four-hour show if, if we let it.
4: <laughs> sure. So you want to know um, the private money, the 25% private money, where that came from.
0: Yeah. Well, How did it come about? Yeah
4: um relationships.
0: Yep. That was a great answer. Think? Cool, moving on <laughs> to the next question. No, I'm just kidding.
4: <laughs> but, but, but you know, it's as short as that.
0: Yeah, for I sure. I mean, where
4: do you think money comes from? Yeah. I mean, you know, if you don't have it somebody else does. You got to ask. Yep. Hey. And if you know what you're doing and you can present yourself appropriately and people know you as knowledgeable, responsible, trustworthy, Uh, you know, uh, somebody who lives a righteous life, somebody who doesn't lie, somebody who says what he does and does what he says, eventually, if you can find deals that are good enough, money will come. It takes time. It takes time to develop relationships. That's why when people get in and say, you know, here's my plan, two years, I just laugh because the plan is great and the numbers are great, but real estate isn't about numbers. It's about people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, fundamentally, that's what it's about. And the, the 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 further I go, the more I understand this reality. Real estate is about people. You get good at solving people's problems, you do well. And if you if you can't solve problems, then then you're out there chasing REOs because yeah. that's the only option you have available for you. What hits the MLS? You know, I haven't bought a thing off the MLS in the past five years. Oh. You know, everybody looks in the MLS. It's that zigzag idea again. Yeah. If everybody's going to look on the MLS, then I better know how to look someplace else. Makes sense. Um, you know, to, to be effective, to be truly effective. Money is the same way.
3: Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at DealMachine.com BP.
2: You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. short-term or multifamily portfolio, steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today.
0: All right, so you've got this portfolio and you know you want the portfolio to start generating cash flow, which it does. Um and you know you're talking now about this 10-unit building, and you've got other multifamilies with lots of units. Uh, who manages your portfolio? And uh, in, in terms of the, the tenants and the day to day, is that you?
4: Yes, I manage my own portfolio. Okay. I uh, I I um I believe that I'm paying the the dues, so to speak. I have no illusions about. Uh, what it means to be a hands-on real estate investor now in saying that you're never gonna find me on an end of a a lawnmower you're never gonna find me with a hammer or, or anything like that I hire everything out that has to do with maintenance of my units however I do do the management myself um that may be something that I will change my opinion on as time goes but my idea about this and remember I have kids so when we have kids we start thinking a little different because yep. we have kids so our perspective changes but I, I, I am trying to be out there to build systems and it's difficult right now because you know I have 28 units um, it's not really large enough to really be able to hire full-time people and, you know, build systems that way. But ultimately, because of a mess and because I know I have kids and eventually, uh, you know, if I can't move, then I'll want to be doing it with my kids. If they're going to college here and there and everywhere, I want to be there. I don't want to be here. That requires me hiring, training, and managing managers. I'm not suggesting that I'm planning to be there myself all the time. However, I do have to take now time to work very hard to establish systems whereby later on I could train and plug people into those systems to run the portfolio for me.
0: You know, it's it's interesting because, frankly, I, I don't think I've ever spoken to somebody uh, on the topic who's in in your situation, and and uh, you, you know, obviously. The the uh, you know the path that you face is is a uh, you know a scary one uh, and and a, a, a horrific one and and you have to plan ahead um, because you know there 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 is a kind of a given path and and uh, right. um the
4: at least I have to make the assumption right of the given path because you know that's what the doctors are saying right. it's a matter of time. I can't function with that in mind, Josh. You need to understand that. I have to look past that.
0: Right. Well, that's not my point. My point is, you know, there's so much value in that, I think, for other investors who may not be in your situation, you know, who, who you know, I, I think people need to look ahead. And and I think that's one of the things that, that I see the most with, especially the newer investors, but even, even folks who've been doing it for a little while. You know, they they don't look five years ahead. They don't look ten years ahead. And you know, by you creating those systems and by you saying, hey, you know, in the next X amount of time, I'm going to need to transition this from me to somebody else. So I've got to you know establish um, procedures and processes to make that happen. You know, you're you're setting yourself up for success. And and so I just you know I just want to make that point where. I think it's just really important that people do that and, and get that plan together because you know, not only the, the written plan that, you know, as you said, might change, but being able to systematize your business to the point where you can, you can aim it towards uh, the, the future.
4: And, and you know you should always aim for the stars because even if you miss but you get somewhere close, you're going to be a whole lot better off than otherwise you would have been. So, you know, I think my portfolio needs to be 120 units in order for my life to do what my life needs to do. You yeah. know, if I don't get past 70, you think I'm going to cry too much about it? No. <laughs> That's going to be enough money for my wife and I and my kids and everything else. Uh, but we set goals so that we have a point, a measuring stick. Yeah. It's a game. It's all a game.
1: For sure. For sure. I always say the same thing. Yep. Yeah. I have a manager that I hired, not a property manager, but just a, I have a maintenance guy that lives, um, at one of my properties for free in exchange for taking care of the unit. And that, that change, like fundamentally, um, changed my entire, um, like investing, uh, business. I mean, it was like the best thing I've ever done. Cause all of a sudden it freed me up. Cause I was doing, I was doing the hammering and the screwing in the light bulbs. I was sure. doing everything before. And a couple of years ago, yeah, I hired this guy and I mean, yeah, my, my, role shifted. Now I'm the managing, I'm managing the manager, like you said, but it, it, it frees up my time. Like 90% of my time is freed up now to do other things and to find new properties and new, um, new adventures. So, uh, yeah, definitely. That was a really, really good point. But, um, and, and while we're on that, um, I would love to get, since you do manage your own properties, do you have any tips out there for landlords?
4: Um, I you know, here I am in the car, I'm going to look at a property. As I pull up, I open the door, I ask myself, would I want to be here? Would I want to live here? As I walk into the building, the front door, I ask myself, would I want to live here? As I walk into the apartment, I ask myself, would I want to live here? Because for me, if I don't want to live here, then I'm going to have the hardest sales job ever. And I don't want bad job. Yep. I want my units to attract people. I want the units to sell themselves. I don't want to be out there trying to sell my units. Yeah. You know, I haven't placed an ad in the paper in the past six years. I have one unit that's an efficiency unit attached to one of my buildings that's in the back. Nobody knows about. That's the only unit I ever market. I stick a sign in the front of the building. Maybe I put an ad on Craigslist. That's it. Just because people want to be there. It's a much easier job to landlord if people want to be there. You don't have to convince people that's it's good for them to be there. They already know they want to be there. That's why they call you. So the biggest tip I can give is exactly that. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't buy anything that I wouldn't want to live in myself. The second tip is know your market. Before I bought this 10-plex, I knew what the rent should be. I knew what the expenses should be. I knew what's acceptable in my market. I knew the cap rate. I knew all of that stuff. Yes, I had to study this building in order to place it within the fabric of what the market is, but I already knew the market, so it wasn't a new thing to me. Okay, So I think a lot of people make that mistake. They look at a building, and they don't look at it from a prism, of the market at large you have to know what your market is to be able to recognize opportunities quickly and Absolutely. that's you know that's that's the key and the third thing is i think you have to treat people with respect whether it's your sellers your buyers your tenants uh... you have to treat people the way you would want to be treated um, i wouldn't expect anybody to live in a unit that i wouldn't live in myself that's just one way of me saying i 'm trying to do for you what I would want to do, have done for myself. Um, I pride myself on fixing things very quickly if they break i you know i don 't procrastinate on those things. I pride myself on being respectful now I do manage very uh, you know iron butterfly kind of thing, you know gentle, and yet I know exactly what I need this building to do and I know exactly how I need people to behave around this building. And so, and, and I make sure that it's known that people know that, but just the function of what the building is, is going to go 90% of the way to establishing this in the first place. I mm-hmm. think I wrote a couple of articles, you know, it's not my fault they keep trashing my unit or something like that. For a BP blog a while back, sure, yeah, you know, and that's that's the concept. Know no, your market. The three people with... It's not to say that you can't be a you can't be a pot, but it catches <laughs> up to you. You know, you can you can do it for a while, and you can screw some people, and and maybe you know, but eventually this business is about reputation, and eventually it catches up to you, and you'll find it difficult to stay on top and. To consistently do good business.
3: Hmm.
0: No, that's great. That's great. Well, so we're we're starting to come to to the close here, um, really quickly um, on on uh, on cash flow. Yeah, that's that's kind of the the core of your of your um, path. Um, beyond the importance, we we all kind of figure why cash flow is important. Um, how do you go about determining if something's going to cash flow? You know, what, what's your you know what what's the most I th- I'd say, you know, the obvious are rents and things like that, but, w- you know, what are the things that sometimes slip by people that, that you think, um, you know, but in particular, newer investors uh, should look out for?
4: Well, <clears throat> I only buy a few things because I'm very aggressive as far as cash flow. Uh, and I have to tell you, I've overpaid for property before. And time, there, are, there are times when the purchase, the purchase price is only one of the negotiable terms. That establishes value in a real estate transaction. It's only one. There are many. There's a ton of them. Sometimes it's advantageous enough to pay more uh, in terms of purchase price if you, you know, if if something else is working right for it. But in terms of cash flow, you know, if you get onto BP, most people probably would agree that in a multifamily situation, $100 a door is kind of a reasonable benchmark to take action on a hundred dollars a door. Of course, that presumes 25% down. In my world, under a hundred percent financing, a hundred dollars a door. Minimum.
1: Yeah, I'm the same way. Exactly. Now, if, I
4: can, if I can do that, under now, you know, people say, well, you know, aren't you concerned about a hundred percent financing? Well, we talked about that, you know, a hundred percent of the purchase price is not the same thing as a hundred percent of the leverage. Yep. 100% of the you know the, the equity in the building especially if you have expandability options to build that equity quickly within 2 or 3 years. So uh, my benchmark is $100 a door under 100% financing.
0: Yeah. And I I, I think there's you know some of, some of the big guys on BP from back in the day like Mike Ohio and stuff the you know and they the whole 50% rule thing you know a, a lot of that does actually presume 100% financing and $100 a door which is really hard to find in a lot of markets um, but yeah you're right but you know if you can stick to that you you know you're you're almost guaranteed to to have have uh, great cash flow opportunities well that's so,
4: exactly it look yeah. here's the thing i mean the 70% commercial note that's a note that the bank is going to hold in their books that's a not a not a saleable fanny Freddie type thing would they do that knowing that the thing is fully financed if they didn't think the cash flow was there to substantiate the debt service? Yep. No, they wouldn't. Yeah. You know, and, and speaking of that, obviously it comes back to relationships. You're not just going to walk in off the street, ask a banker for 70% financing, telling them that somebody else is bringing 25 and expect them to do it. It, it it that's just not how it works. It takes time to develop those relationships with people that are going to do this kind of a deal for you. Yeah,
1: for that, sure. That's great advice. Sure. That's awesome.
0: All right, all right, man. Well, I, I hate to do it. I hate to cut it off. Seriously, I, I think we could go on and on. This is definitely fascinating. Um, but uh, as we come to the close here, we're gonna well, let's let's talk about your favorite real estate book that is uh, not your own.
4: Um, how I turned a thousand dollars into five million by William Nickerson. Good book, an oldie but goodie.
0: There yep. you go. How about your favorite non-real estate business book?
4: Um, I don't have one. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I I, I, I don't right. have one. I read so much. Just like one of my passions is reading. I read so much. Uh, I, I don't
1: have
0: one. Okay, fair fair enough. Um,
1: if I could just hobby. jump in there real quick, yeah. since you didn't have one, I'm going to tell people, this is a real estate book, but if people are interested in what you have to say, um, the oh, what's it called? Uh, Ken McElroy's The ABC's of Real Estate Investing. Yes. Yeah, it's exactly yes. like the thing that you and I love. I mean, you and I get along well because we have the same strategy. We right. we have the same mind on this. Right. So.
4: And I think that book was published as part of the uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad series.
1: Correct, yeah. So I, I'm yep. going to plug yes. that one because it's, it's so good. It was, yeah, it's amazing.
0: Brandon, you're not right. a guest, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs>
4: uh,
0: how, about, how about hobbies? Obviously, uh, your kids, uh, I would presume, would be one of your hobbies, spending time with them. Any, anything else?
4: Um, my wife and I enjoy ballroom dancing, Oh, okay. Uh, cool. specifically Latin dancing. Uh, we like that a lot. That's something we do for ourselves. Um, I enjoy reading a lot. I enjoy guns, ah. uh, target shooting, and things like that. And I enjoy motorcycles. In fact, I had a big, burly black VTX 1300cc Honda motorcycle. I, my wife sat me down when the kids were born and said, I worry about a lot of things. I'd appreciate not having to worry about you killing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and so. I, the thing was sold very there quickly. Go. There you go. But I hope there will come a time when the kids are older and I've taught them what I need to teach them, uh, uh, that there will be a time for me to enjoy that one more time.
0: Nice. nice, nice. I had a picture in my head of you ballroom dancing with your wife with a shotgun in your hand
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> on
4: top of a motorcycle.
0: On top of, right? of yeah, a motorcycle, <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, Brandon. All right. I know you've got your uh, your famous uh, question here.
1: All right, last one. Um, so in this, in this business, there are a lot of people who come and go. I mean, you see them every day in bigger pockets. So uh, what sets apart the successful creative investors from those who uh, just come and go and disappear?
4: Successful people refuse to fail. Now, I have, I have the easy route to that because my medical condition ensures that I have to succeed. That's a choice that life has made for me. A lot of other people have a much tougher path in that they have to make that choice for themselves. But that choice is what keeps us in the game because real estate is really hard. And you want to give up many, many, many times before you succeed. And you have good days and you have really bad days. And what is it that's going to help you hang on, that's going to keep you in the game? Because staying in the game is the main part. So successful people refuse to fail, not just in real estate, every place else. They just refuse to fail. Successful people are more willing to live outside of their comfort zone. Um, To achieve extraordinary results, we have to take extraordinary actions. If we keep doing the same things that we're used to doing, which is what's comfortable, we'll achieve the same comfortable results. But if we want more out of life, then we have to step outside the comfort zone. And successful people will tell you that the norm is outside the comfort zone. Hmm. Comfort zone just doesn't even happen wow. for successful people.
0: Yeah, that's
1: awesome. Pre-
0: Preacher Ben. Preacher <laughs> Ben. I mean, more sound bites out of this, out of this one than, than uh, I, I think I could remember. Uh, listen. A little bit about Ben here. Ben's written four ebooks and recorded 20 audio 20 audio. Let's try that again. Ben's recorded four ebooks and recorded 20 audio training seminars in which he covers topics ranging from creative finance and acquisition techniques to property rehab management and negotiation. Uh, you can get them along with Ben's cash flow analysis software on his website, just dot just com. And uh, I, I I do have to say Again, I mean, Ben, it's, it's, uh, is really, really, really an inspiring story. And, and, you know, I do want, um, I do want you to know that, that our, our community is here for you. We've, we are we've got your back, we've got your support. And, and I do, you know, I, I don't really do this often, but I, I would say if you're considering, you know, uh, learning about any of the stuff that, that Ben, um, you know, Ben's uh, educating, teaching people on. You know, I, I want to support you, man. I want to support you. I want to support your family. You. And and I would tell people, you know, definitely let's let's see what we can do to, to support Ben here. Um, otherwise, really quick, is there anywhere else that people can connect with you? Um, obviously, on Bigger Pockets. Are you on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn? Can they reach I out am, to you? I
4: am on Facebook, Twitter, uh, at uh, forward slash just ask Ben. Uh, and I am on LinkedIn as well uh, Ben Leibovich. Um, I'm, but, but I'm on bigger pockets more, 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 more often than, than not. Nice. I, I just, you know, I have to tell you, uh, I, I think I was searching for property management. I was looking, just doing a Google search, maybe about six months ago on property management. And just for kicks, you know, I just wanted to see who's out there, what they're offering and all that, qualifying tenants and, and all that kind of stuff, credit checks. And I came across BP because, of course, you have this function on your website as one one of the tools available. And, you know, I took a look. It was nice. I forgot about it for about four months. But I signed up. I gave you my email. And so I kept getting these things in my email, these articles. And I can't remember now which article it was that piqued my interest. But about four months later, I came back, and I really looked at the forums and at the content, the quality of, of the conversation that takes place, the, the fact that real players are willing to take their time to answer questions in the way that they do. That's very inspiring to me because being around people who know more, can do more, half the guys on there have forgotten more about real estate than I will ever know. And I appreciate that. It's just it's just inspirational. Yeah. It's a great platform. And and so I I, I end up spending more time on B P nowadays than any of the other social networks. That's awesome. Me frankly. too
0: well, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly glad to hear that. <laughs> it's like a big old black hole that sucks people in. It's, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs>
2: That's right.
4: Beautiful thing. Yeah,
0: for sure. All right, Ben. Well, listen, man, it's been a pleasure and uh, you know, really uh, enjoyed having you on the show today.
4: Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, thank you, Ben. All
0: right, everyone. That was our show today with creative real estate investor Ben Leibovitch. As always, we really encourage you guys to head over to our show notes page at biggerpockets.com slash show14 and uh, check out all the links from the show. And also, as we mentioned in today's quick tip, leave a comment on that page and let us know if you have any questions for Ben or just want to say hello. Um, For today's show, we actually also i uh, put some important links for you guys to check out uh, regarding Ben, uh, Ben's story and MS, uh, where you where you could learn a little bit more information. So definitely do go there and check that out. Um, also, if you want to leave us an iTunes rating, we absolutely would love that. We're now up to 182 five star reviews in iTunes, and uh, we we certainly appreciate all your support. So uh please uh please leave us a rating, leave us a review, and of course, if you're not doing so already, please do subscribe to the show over there on iTunes. Uh finally, be sure to connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash biggerpockets. And uh be sure to sign up for a free Bigger Pockets account uh at biggerpockets.com. Again, thank you so much for being a part of the show, for listening, and uh until next time.
2: Past performance is not
1: indicative of future results and all hosts
2: and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect,
4: consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.